Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles. Trust that you have brought your Bibles this morning, so can we turn to them? Again, hope that uh, we get opportunity to be able to transfer what we share on Sunday mornings to that which you read throughout the week in your Bible, so do bring them. Mark chapter 11. It's going to go to the Gospel of Mark. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. Glad to have you at Cornerstone this morning. What a beautiful opportunity and atmosphere we've had in our time already together. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verse, starting at verse 22. Mark 11, verse 22. Jesus says, have faith in God. Everybody say those four words together with me, everyone. Okay, that's the whole point of this morning. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I don't know if you've ever heard of the legend of Honi Hami Agel. Honi uh, Hami Agel lived about 100 years before Jesus came in flesh. It was in the nation of Palestine or Israel. And it was at a time that there was huge drought. It's about 100 years before Christ. And in that period of time, they had, not unusual for the Middle East, but it was a succession of a number of years. They had not had rain. And it was a dire time. Cattle were dying. People were dying of thirst. The prophets had stopped prophesying 300 years prior to that. About 400 to 500 B.C., the prophets had stopped speaking. We don't have record. No doubt there were prophets, but we don't have record of prophets to the time of Christ just prior to Jesus coming. God was really nowhere to be heard in the Middle East. But there was a man, history tells us. There was a man. He was an eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem and he dared to pray. That's why they thought he was eccentric. He dared to pray. He dared to believe. He was one who stood out from the crowd. He wasn't afraid to go the narrow road. His name was Honi Hameagel. He believed God was a God of the impossibilities. Honi was Israel's hope in their time of drought. So the legend or the story goes, famous for his ability to pray for rain, Honi made a 360-degree circle around him in the dirt. He put his finger to the dirt. A crowd began to gather as he went to his knees. He raised his head to heaven, and he lifted his hands. And with the authority like the prophet Elijah, Honey called out. He said, 
Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. And then it happened. As his prayers ascended to the heavens, like little parachutes, drops began to descend to the earth. Those around him looked up, their mouths open in awe as drops from heaven began to come. It sprinkled. People were yelling and celebrating and dancing. But Honey continued to kneel in the circle. And he was heard to lift his voice over the sounds of the celebrations again. And he cried out and said, Lord of the universe, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill the cisterns, will fill the pits, and will fill the caverns. And it happened. Not a mere few drops of sprinkle came. The heavens opened. The rain came down in such heavy torrential downpour. The problem was the ground was bone dry. And instantly floods began to take place as the water could not absorb. The people screaming left the temple mount and they ran for their lives escaping the flash floods. And there was Honey who could be heard once more. Still in the circle. Lord of the heavens he was heard. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And as quickly as that horrific downpour came, it slowed down. It went into a calm, peaceful, steady rain. Each drop a token of God's grace. And it didn't just soak the skin of the people, it soaked the spirit of faith in his day. And life would return to normal, and the legend of the circle maker was born. It's a prayer that they said that saved a generation, a significant prayer in the history of the nation of Israel. A circle that he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. He drew a line. It was this past Friday, Lori and I went and we, anybody here heard of the the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Anybody heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Okay, if you haven't, you got to look them up. I mean, serious. you got to look them up. I've been following them probably for a dozen years. They, I, I'm going to argue they're probably best choir out there. Uh, I don't know how many voices, two, three, four hundred voices of Brooklyn Tabernacle. I've never been. I've heard. Uh, I listened to their stuff, have for years. But they had the Brooklyn Tabernacle singers, 18 of them. They couldn't get them all here. That would have just been a fortune. But they, 18 singers came to the Church of the Queensway last Friday night. Uh, we had it advertised in our board out in front. And so I said to Loria, you know, we got to go. We got to go. And so we went. And, uh, and the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, uh, Jim Sabala, and his wife was there. Uh, and uh, it was just a wow, just a wonderful time of praise and worship. It was um, Water to a thirsty soul. And Jim uh, spoke, and he spoke about drawing a line in the sand. And I thought, oh my goodness, is that a confirmation? Drawing a line in the sand. He says, the devil is robbing us blind. 
Now, he asked how many people had been in the crowd. There's probably 3,500 anyway in the building, probably 3,500 in the building. He asked how many have been to Brooklyn. Uh, and there was a lot of hands went up. And he says, there's a saying in New York City. A saying is, you're not a true New Yorker unless you've been robbed at least once. You're not a true New Yorker unless you've been robbed at least once. And he said, you know, people just get robbed. He said, and people are rising up. They're fed up with this, always being robbed, because there's really no repercussions, he said, for being robbed. And they're like drawing a line. They're saying, we're fed up being robbed. And his whole message circled around, we are being robbed. The enemy, the devil is robbing us, is his message. The devil is robbing us. We think that he's given you a hard time regarding your home. You don't have a home that you wish or you don't have the right vehicle you wish you had, or you don't have the right job. He says, the devil's going to give you all those things. He says, that, the devil doesn't care about that. He says, you want to know what he's robbing you of? Your first love to God, where you've stopped loving him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You've stopped loving him. That's what he's stolen from you. Because life circumstances has reached into your gut and pulled it out. He's stolen it from you. When you can satisfy yourself with going to the house of the Lord only occasionally, you've been ripped off. When you can satisfy yourself with not gathering together in corporate prayer meetings, mark it. You've been robbed. He has reached in and stolen something from your heart. He's a thief. And he has stolen from us. And he says, somebody's got to rise up and draw a line in the sand. He says, who wants to come to the front? If you've been robbed, and Lori and I, we got out of our seat and up we went. We weren't, and he was talking about family. See, sons and daughters have been robbed. And he says, and, and he says listen, you've got to draw a line and say enough's enough. And, and he was talking about businesses. He was talking about, uh, you know, things in your heart that God has spoken. And, and Lori and I went up and we were saying, you know, God has robbed Cornerstone Church because there are those who've wandered away and have not come back. And so we're drawing a line in the sand. We're saying enough's enough. We're calling the POWs, the prisoners of war, to come home. We're calling those that have wandered and can't find their way. And they're spotting from place to place, church to church. We're calling them home. We're saying enough's enough. Devil, you've been robbing us. You've been ripping us off. We're, not, we're saying enough's enough. We're calling on the Lord our God. Because he is the answer. We can't work harder to get any changes. But God on your behalf, oh, look out. God and no weapon forged against you will prosper to those who are servants of the Lord. So we draw a line in the sand. And that was kind of the thrust there. And I was smiling. I Actually, BJ was sitting beside me. I leaned over and I said, man, he's preaching my message. Because I'd already prepared talking about this believing big for Sunday, and it was just a, a huge confirmation. We need to believe big, brothers and sisters, today. I want to call us forth. I want to reach in and stimulate and massage your faith that is hurting and wounded and broken, and where there has been despair and that kind of discouragement that just takes the courage right away from us. Oh, God, bring back what you are doing. You know, the circle didn't start with Honey. The circle started way back in Joshua. If you were to go back to Joshua, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I will tell you the story, and you will recognize the story. When the children of Israel came out of their place of bondage, Egypt, God delivered them towards a people group. They had never been a people group. 
He was calling them the Hebrew children. You will have cities that you can build, lands that you can plant, and you will harvest their crops. They never had that before. God says, I'm going to provide for you. I will provide for my children. And he began to lead them out. And they had all those years, as we call it, the wanderings in the desert. And then as they came out, a new generation, a brand new generation, I'm going to call them the Lazarus generation, coming into God's blessing, fruitfulness, provision. And as they were getting into that place, just on the entrance, the first place they would encounter was a city called Jericho. Jericho is very strategic it's in the news these days. Jericho. They came to Jericho. Jericho was a problem. But when they got to Jericho, God's answer, his solution to the problem was, you need to make a circle around this. Remember the story? The circle was them. It wasn't like in a finger on the line. It was them. Make a circle because this is where it all starts, right here. Make a circle. You need to believe and pray big. Uh, when they got before Jericho, the closer they got to Jericho, the smaller they felt. They understood the generation before them who said that we are like grasshoppers before them. Now they got it. As they themselves stood before Jericho, they too felt like grasshoppers. The generation before them that had failed to enter the promise because of fear. Fear. 50 foot high walls, 6 feet deep. It was a walled fortress. And God told the Israelites to quietly circle the city. No big fanfare. Don't be loud about it. Don't scream and shout and stomp. Just go around the city. So they went around the city. Next day they went around again. Next day they went around again. Don't you think that looked ridiculous? And around again. And around and around and around. <laughs> and then on the seventh day, circle it seven times. And God says, I'll prove myself faithful to you. Here's what I want to say this morning. If you keep circling God's promises, God will ultimately deliver. If you keep circling God's promises, you can write that one down. If you keep circling God's promises, God will ultimately deliver. you got to keep circling them, though. You got The devil will steal, get you to quit. you got to keep circling it. They could have stopped at day four, could have stopped at day five, could have stopped at day six. You keep marching. He said seven times they could have stopped at number six on the seventh day. We quit too soon. We don't quit until it's over. You know, I called a prayer fast about a month ago, and I said, we're calling it for two weeks. We're having Saturday night prayers. But Lori and I, we haven't changed because we still haven't got the answers. The answers aren't here yet. So we're still circling. We aren't just praying for a while and say, okay, I've done my thing. God, it's up to you. No, it's up to us. Keep circling the promise. Keep circling it. Don't quit. And so they... Came around 13th time. I guess the question here this morning ultimately is, is, what is your Jericho? What's your Jericho? What promise are you praying around? What's on your heart that needs divine intervention? Sometimes Jericho, J-E-R-I-C-H-O, is not spelt that way for you anyway, and it's not spelt that way for me. I don't have a literal Jericho in my life. They did. I don't. But my Jericho is spelt different. My Jericho might be spelt H-E-A-L-I-N-G. 
a Jericho of healing. Some of you, that's your Jericho. It's a sickness. Maybe your Jericho is S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N. It's a salvation you're believing in. A son, a daughter, a husband, a wife. Maybe your miracle, your Jericho is an R-E-C-O-N-C-I-L-I-A-T-I-O-N. It's a reconciliation in a marriage. That's your Jericho. What's your Jericho? The Jericho that God has placed in us. You know, if you have a vision beyond your resources, it's spelt provision. Hmm. Put a P-R-O in front. If you have a vision beyond, if you have a vision beyond what you can do, then you need provision. And whatever it is you need, spell it out. Don't just think it. Don't just say, well, God understands and knows it's in the sovereignty of God. No, he has brought us into partnership to continue the circle. Mark 11, have faith in God. Jesus says, truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what you say will happen, it will be done. Now who said this? Jesus, can we trust him? Does Jesus know what he's talking about here? comes down to I have faith in God or not enough. Until the day he died, Honey, Honey was mesmerized by a verse, and I found the verse. This is the verse that stirred that sage a century before Jesus. His verse was Psalms 126. Here's his verse. We were like men who dreamed. That stirred his heart and kept him going. We were like men who dreamed. That phrase, we were like men who dream, provoked a question. The question was this. Is it possible for a man to dream continually for decade after decade? Is it possible for you to continue to dream after 70 years? Came across this just recently. I found this interesting, fascinating actually. Neuroimaging has shown that as you and I age, the center of cognitive gravity tends to shift from the imaginative right brain to the logical left brain. Okay, now I need you to do something here with me this morning, a little bit of uh, interaction. Would you lift your right hand? Go ahead and do that. Don't have to lift it high. Put it on the side of your head. Okay, that's the imaginative right part of your brain, apparently proven. Okay, put your hand down. Left hand, left side. That's the memory side. That's the logical side. So just now in the future, think about if you're, which side you're shifting to. Okay, now that's why I did that. So I want to say this again. That they say that the imaginative, what happens as you get older, the cognitive gravity tends to shift from the imaginative to right brain to the logical left brain. This is a problem. At some point... As you and I get older, and we are getting older, at some point, we stop living out of the imaginative side, and we start living out of the memory side. You see how this is working? Some of you can see this is happening. You, start, you stop living out of the imaginative, and you're sliding over to, this will happen with age, neurologists say. Instead of creating a future, you're repeating the past. 
Do you find it? You're living on the past. You're living on the old songs. You're living on the old stories. You're living on the by days by and by. What's happening? You're shifting. Now, here's the problem. Did God say to let the shift happen? Right? He's saying, get back to the dream again. Don't live on the memory. Don't live on the past. That's why we want to keep, I, I bumped into a dear friend of mine. He was the president of Master's College and Seminary, Rich Janes. And uh, uh, he stepped down this past spring. He's been there for years at Master's College. And, and he's now one of the pastors at Shepherd Village, which is a retirement facility where my, my mom is. So I was with my mom on Thursday at Shepherd Village in Scarborough. And I looked up and I saw Rich. Hey, Rich, you know, I know, you know he's, he's the president of the Bible college. Rich, and I knew he was there, and I said, hey, man, you know, we were joshing a little bit, and I said, man, this is a big change. You're gone from, from 19-year-olds to 99-year-old, my mom. 19 to 99. I said, man, that's a big shift for you, buddy. And he said, yeah, but he said, you know, he's a lover of people. He just loves people. And so I leaned into him, and I said, man, are you learning the hymns again? Right? And, and, it was, and he says, man, I'm learning the hymns again. Now, here's the thing. Hymns are great. I love hymns. My kids love hymns. But beware, beware. It's not just hymns. It's songs. It's choruses. It's old stories. It's the old thing. Shifting, and you live on the old. You live on the old. It becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. So at some point, most of us stop living out of imaginations and start living out of memory. Instead of creating a future, we start repeating the past. Instead of living by faith, we're living by logic. Instead of going after our dreams, we've stopped circling Jericho. Essentially, you're just getting ready to die. That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing when we do this, when we allow that shift to take place. We've dropped our hands, dropped our weapons of war, and resigned ourselves to retirement. Coast. To get to the end. Three weeks ago, as I cried out here, God raised up a Lazarus generation. I'm going to invite you, if that hasn't happened to you, lean in this morning. Listen hard. Faith and dreams don't have to die. We don't have to live on memory because our imagination has died. We don't have to. It's not a foregone conclusion. It doesn't have to be that way. So I come back to the question I started with. Is it possible to dream continuously for 70 years? Is it possible? Some say no. Harriet Dewar came across her story this past week. After almost 50 years of marriage, Harriet's husband died. After he died, she enrolled in the Stanford University to get her degree. She was virtually blind when she wrote her first book, and she wrote a number of books and her book won the National Book Award. She was 73 years old. Um, I think her picture's here. Do we have her picture? Here's her picture. Harriet. And she said this. This is the whole point of Harriet. Don't, you can forget her after, but don't forget what she said. Here's what she said. One of the best things about aging is being able to watch imagination overtake memory. That's what she said. 73 years old. One of the best things about aging is being able to watch imagination overtake memory. So I ask, who's right? Are the neurologists right? The neurologists say that as we grow older, we stop living out of imagination, right side, and swing over to the left side, memory. Or is Harriet right? 
who says one of the best things about aging is being able to watch imagination overtake memory. As we age, either imagination overtakes memory or memory overtakes our imagination. It can't be both. Imagination is a road less taken, but it is the pathway of prayer. When we stop praying and believing, you're living on memory. When we stop going to prayer meetings and we shake the earth for God's name's sake, we are living on memories, church. I'm just saying, not me. No way, no how, not me. I'm believing. I'm believing for things I believed in decades ago. I'm believing in things I believed in a few years ago. I'm holding on because I refuse because prayer says it doesn't matter what you see. What matters is what God says. And somewhere in our hearts, we have swung over to the place where we are living on memory. Let's stop. Can I encourage you? Don't do that because it's kind of a morbid final days. And you won't see the provision of the Lord. Oh, I want to see the provision of the Lord. He excites me when he does those things. He excites me when I see his name lifted up and glorified. He excites me. I don't want to live on the memory side. I know there's going to be a temptation because you get a lot of memories. But don't live there. Don't live there. Live. What are your new dreams? What are the dreams yet to come to pass? Have you let them go? Have you just said, well, it's up to God? Because that's exactly what the devil wants you to say. And stop praying, and believing. Ah, so it comes to that place. It's God's faithfulness that increases our faith, that enlarges our dreams. You know, our date of death is not the date etched on a tombstone. The day we stop dreaming and believing is the day you start at dying. That's why in Ezekiel 37, dead bones get back up again. Lazarus' generation, come back to life. Let's rise up and believe again. Let's take up the banner and say, enough's enough. Enough's enough. And I'm going to hazard a guess. There's a new generation coming along who's believing. Yeah, you say they don't have a whole lot of memory, but what memory they do, they're trusting God for the new. They're believing. Mark chapter 11, I come back to this. Have faith in God, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Jesus said it. Faith has to be willing to look foolish. I find as I get older, I don't want to look foolish as much as I did when I was younger. Uh, But faith has to be willing to look foolish. I mean, let's think about this just for a second. Can you go with me to the story of Noah? And God told Noah to what? Somebody talk to me. To build a boat in the desert. It hadn't rained yet. God says, build a boat, I'm going to send a flood. Now, don't think for a second it didn't look ridiculous. Year after year, decade after decade, to build this big, big boat, where no built boats were being built. I should say that one quickly. Where no built were being, boats were being built, and he's building it year after year after year after year. Do you think that looked ridiculous and foolish? Absolutely. You have to risk it, though. What about the Israelite army? Do you think it looked silly going around the city of Jericho? <laughs> right? They would have been jeered from the walls. Guaranteed it. They would have been mocked and laughed at. you got to risk it. Hey, if you can't handle it, if you can't handle a little bit of jeering, 
you won't see the great things God has for you. So they had to risk the heckling. What about David, the little shepherd boy? Do you think he looked foolish when big Goliath, all decked out in his armor, and David just in his normal shepherd attire with a little slang and a few stones, do you think that looked foolish? Absolutely. You have to risk looking foolish. Do you think the Magi looked foolish when they followed a star to the Messiah? Hello? Do you think Peter looked foolish as he swung his legs over the boat and sat for a moment on the side of the boat in the middle of one of the worst storms? Do you think he didn't get a little bit of ribbing from the guys near him? Listen, if you can't risk a little looking a little foolish, you aren't going to see the provisions of God. Because pretty well every time it's going to look a little bit different. The greatest chapters in history always begins with risk. And likewise, you and I, you cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to lose yours. I put that down on notes. You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to. Am I willing to lose my reputation? Are you? Or is that too important? Have you built it up to something? An Old Testament text illustrates this. And I want to bring our, bring our home this morning on Numbers chapter 11. It's a story that we probably, I know I haven't talked about it for years. Numbers chapter 11. Feel free to go there. I want to show you this story. It's a story about quail. And no, it's not Dan quail. It's about quail. Numbers 11. I love the miracle. I love any miracle when it comes to food. <laughs> so uh, I like this miracle. When the Israelites exited Egypt, a quail storm was definitely not in the forecast. So we have Numbers chapter 11 here. You got it? Numbers 11 verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardship in the hearing of the Lord. Verse 4. Go down to verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Of course, up to this point, they had manna. Manna is like a bread-like substance, supernaturally provided by God, and they'd been eating it for a long, long time. So let me read that again, verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, I feel for them here, okay? If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. Okay, they've swung over to the left. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. I'm just going to say here, they probably had bad breath issues. Verse 6. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So what does God do? Verse 16. Go down. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Hmm. Did you see what took place in those few verses? I know we ripped through them fairly quick. I'm just going to say, don't dream alone. Don't dream alone. God says, I want, I, I want to get elders around you. Seventy elders. Now, chances are they were part of the problem to start with. They probably were griping along with everybody else. But God says, I need you to get 70 elders so you don't dream alone. 
And God says, I will place the spirit I placed in you. I'm going to place it on them. I'm going to place it on them. And God placed in them the ability to see what they couldn't see. Oh, God, give us those who can see what right now they can't see. And God continues down in verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Mmm, it's coming. When you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, they said, we are better off in Egypt. Now that was the problem. It wasn't the meat. The problem was they were longing on their memory side to Egypt again. Now the Lord will give you meat, he said, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days. This is God speaking, verse 20. But for a whole month, until it comes out your what? No, no, you had to look at it, okay? I, I don't know what some of you were going to say there. Until it comes out your nostrils. Now, I've never had meat come out not my nostrils before. Ask me if I want to. I've never had meat come out my nostrils. He said, until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, this was the issue, it wasn't the meat, it wasn't the food, saying we should never have left Egypt after everything God did. After everything God did. I want to say, if God had a gripe with them that many years ago, he has a bigger gripe with me today when what Jesus did on the cross and I don't have faith to believe he can do it again. He has a bigger gripe with me than he did with them. Are you following me? Because what Jesus did for me, every time I lose faith, every time I lose sight of the future, God's dream, his plans, his provisions, every time I do that, I insult the cross. I insult what God did. I insult what Jesus did. It's an insult to him. And as you see, just the, the description there, I'm taken by the description. Yeah, you're going to eat meat, not for one, two, five, ten, twenty. I mean, this is God. He's jiving them a little bit. He says for a whole month, it's going to come out your, it's going to come out your nose. And you're going to loathe it. That's a pretty strong word. Why? Because you rejected me. You turned away from me. So Moses turns to God, verse 21. But Moses said, <laughs> I like this. Moses is just so practical right here. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. 600,000 men plus women and children. It's a lot. Probably be, they say it's between a million and a half to two and a half million people. It's a lot of people. Let's continue. I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if the flocks and the herds were slaughtered? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? I like this. Okay, Moses, when God said this to Moses, Moses gets out his pad and pencil, and in his mind, he's doing the math. He's beginning to do the math, and it doesn't add up. Have you ever been there? (laughs) A sense that God said he's going to do something, and you get out the pen and paper, and you're going, no, I don't think you can. I don't think you can, God, because it doesn't add up. You know, God wants you to take the job that pays less. And you get out your pen and pad, and you say, mm-mm, doesn't add up. God wants you to go on that mission trip, and you go, mm, doesn't add up. God wants you to expand church ministries. Nope, 
doesn't add up. Therefore, what do you do when the will of God doesn't add up? Numbers 11.24. Here's what you do. Moses did it. So what do you do? So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord said. Mm -mm, that's it. There's the answer. Oh, you say, man, I think I missed that. Let me read it again. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. Moses risked his reputation, and he circled that promise God gave. Moses, in essence, pushed all his credibility chips into the middle of the table, and he went out and told the Israelites, God's got a plan. That's what he did. So what do you do when it doesn't add up? Moses just said, listen, if I took all the fish out of the sea, and if all the herds and flocks were killed, we don't have near enough to do what you just said, God. But what did Moses do? He went out and said, here's what God's going to do, guys. Here's his plan. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. Tell them my plan. Speak the word. Speak the word. Let me go back to that text again. Can we go back to Mark 11? Have faith in God, Jesus said. Now this makes sense. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, if you speak to that mountain the word of the Lord, go throw yourself into the sea. If that's what the word of the Lord said. If you speak and don't doubt in your heart and believe, it will be done for them. Got to do it. Got to speak it. That's, that's, that's what Moses is doing here. So Moses go out. He went out. He circled the promise. He pushed everything into the middle. And he went out and said, here's what the word of the Lord says. Let me go to verse 31. Here's what happened. Now a wind went out from the Lord, drove the quail in from the sea, brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction, verse 32. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten omers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. Now, I, I, again, God's humor in this. When these birds began to drop, okay, get out of your mind. Beautiful Canada geese coming in for a nice landing. Okay, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. They fell from the sky, these birds. And there, and it says they came in hard at about a meter high. Hard at about a meter high. There's a lot of bruises going on, okay? They're taking people out when they're coming in. I, God has humor too. And they're coming, they came in, that's what it said. They came in about three feet off the ground. And they, like rockets hitting these people, like missiles, uh, it fell from the sky. It rained quail. Based on the Hebrew system of measurement, it said it, quail as far as a day's walk. Well, a day's walk is about 15 miles in each direction. It's about a day's walk. So, stand here and go 15 miles both directions. That's how much came down. Now, if you actually do want to figure this out, if you square the radius and multiply by pi, we're talking about an area that is about 700 square miles. To put it into perspective, it's like you here today, here at Aurora Cornerstone 390 Industrial Parkway, south. And if you went 15 miles in all directions, full of quail. Someone did the math and figured it would approximate about 105 million quail. That's what happened. Now, that's a big miracle. Here's the point. Moses could never have anticipated the answer. He couldn't have anticipated. He wasn't too anticipated. It was unpredictable. It was unprecedented. 
But Moses, what was required of him is to have the guts to mark the promise anyway. That's all he had to do. Mark the promise. Just mark the promise. Just mark the promise. So God had asked the question in Numbers 11.23. God asked the question, is there any limit with me? Is there any limit with me? There's a good question. Is there any limit with me? The good news translation, is there a limit to my power? Is what it says. Now, the question we know should be no. There's no limit to God's power. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. means there's nothing God cannot do. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. Many of us are praying as if our problems are bigger than God. So maybe remind ourselves of the high-octane truth here this morning that should really fuel our faith. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem and your biggest dreams. You have to believe that. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem and your biggest dream. He's bigger. He asked the question, is there any limit with me? And the answer is no. Is there any limit to his power? No, there's not. I mean, it's either yes or it's no. There's not a whole lot of gray area in that question. God is infinitely bigger. A modern mystic, A.W. Tozer, believed that, a lo- listen to this, a low view of God, quote, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Can to do that one again? Low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 of your temporal problems right now. And if that is true, then your and my biggest problem isn't an impending divorce. It's not a failed business. It's not a doctor's diagnosis or hardened hearts. And please understand, I'm not making light of any of these. These are huge. But in order to regain a godly perspective on your problem, you have to answer this question. You have to answer this question. Are your problems bigger than God or is God bigger than your problem? That is a fundamental question we got to face here. Our biggest problem is our small view of God. So back to God's question to us, is there a limit to my power? Yes or no? And until you come to the conviction that God's grace and power knows no limits, you will continue to draw little tiny circles. That's all we have, little tiny circles. However, once you embrace the omnipotence of God, you'll draw ever-enlarging circles, bigger and bigger, around your God-given, God-side mass of dreams. So how big is your God? Is He big enough to heal your marriage? Is He big enough to heal your child? Is He bigger than your secret Sin, is he bigger than your secret dream? One translation translates Numbers 11.23 where it says in the good news, is there a limit to my power? The NIV, maybe you saw it when you looked it up, the NIV says, is the Lord's arm too short? Now, I was perplexed at first when I saw that. Is Why the Lord's arm? Then I realized back in Exodus, there was another pentager of the Lord, and it talked about in Exodus chapter 8, it talks about the finger of the Lord. And in Exodus 8, this was talking about the ten miracles where God delivered the children from Egypt. These miracles were huge. You know, the water turned to blood and frogs and lice and everything. They were really big miracles, ten of them. 
And it says it was done by the finger. I actually don't even think it was this finger. I think it was probably God's pinky. Just guessing. I don't know. And if God could do all 10 miracles, 10 of the plagues, by his pinky, you imagine what his arm can do? Right? I'm just putting it in perspective. I looked at by the finger of God, he did the 10. By the arm of God, is God too small? Is God too small? Isaiah 55, 9, it says this, The heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. If you've never had a God-sized dream that scares you half to death, it's time to come to life. It's time to come to life. It'll scare you half to death. If you've never been overwhelmed by the impossibilities of your plans, then your God is too small. If your vision isn't perplexingly impossible, then you need to make that radius of your circle a little bit bigger. If your situation before you is too big for you, that's okay. Because that's going to force you to get into that prayer circle and get it bigger. We've got to believe for it to get bigger. If you keep circling it in prayer, God will get bigger and bigger and bigger until you see your impossible prayer for what it really is. What is your impossible prayer? It's an easy answer for an almighty God. It's an easy answer. You've got to believe it or not. Then our faith is small, and we won't see what Jesus was trying to say. Have faith in God. Put your faith where it belongs. God is still looking today, 2021, 2023, he is still looking today for those who would believe and pray big. I really think that's true. You cannot build God's reputation if you're will, not willing to risk yours. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem and your biggest dream. He's bigger. So I close with that scripture, Mark 11. Have faith in God. That's what Jesus say. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this, anyone, anyone says to this mountain, whatever that is, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what you say will happen, it will be done for you. Therefore, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sin. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.